Welcome to Served Neat. I'm your host, Jen Hartman. I am wildly obsessed with marketing, sales, business, and the bottom line. I left corporate America with $3,000 in my bank account and a dream of becoming a successful entrepreneur. In the last two years, I grew my marketing consultancy to multiple six figures, worked with over 160 CEOs, and even started my very own fashion brand. In this podcast, I'll be serving up my best kept secrets to help you grow and scale your business. Each week, you'll hear from myself along with other entrepreneurs. You'll learn about what it actually takes to grow a brand, the ups, the downs, and everything in between. Pour yourself a glass of bourbon and get ready to take notes because it is time to dive into this week's episode. Growing an agency can feel extremely overwhelming at times. Who do you hire? What systems do you need? How do you acquire more clients? We are covering all of this and so much more in today's episode. I sat down for a conversation with Paul Daly. He built and sold a near seven-figure agency in just 14 months. He now works with multiple large-scale marketing agencies as a fractional COO. He's kind of a badass, and he knows a thing or two when it comes to scaling quickly. In our episode, he'll be sharing his secret sauce for growing an agency fast, systems you need as you scale, tips for hiring, and more. This is one of my favorite episodes because of how much value Paul truly gave and how conversational this entire episode was. I felt like I was chatting it up with an old friend. Okay, let's dive in. Hey, Paul, I am so excited to have you here on Serve Me. How are you? I'm great, and I'm excited to be on what I think is at least the coolest named podcast I've ever seen and definitely been a part of. So I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Let's start with, can you just tell us a little bit more about you and your background? Yeah, absolutely. So do you want me to start with like the online space stuff or before online space? Let's start before because I think you have a super interesting story. Okay. so. I am one of those college dropouts, right? I feel like we see a lot of those in the remote space, but I'm one of those college dropouts. I went to West Virginia for one year, decided college wasn't right for me. Had a lot of fun while I was there, though. Got back and immediately went into selling cars, the car industry. And I, I'm just going to sum this up really quick because I think it's this is all really boring stuff. But I was in the car industry for about a year before I ended up becoming what's called a finance manager. So if you ever bought a car from a dealership, the guy who does all the paperwork, which is where most of the money in dealerships are made now. Went from that to running five different Audi dealerships for a couple of years. And then somehow enabled my way from that, it kind of weird networking, if you will, into being a systems engineer for some pretty cool government contractors doing some, some work for the intelligence community. Got really, really bored of that because it sounds way cooler than it is. And went from that to doing some VP of sales for wineries, business to business SaaS sales and stuff like that. And eventually just kind of settled down and it's like, my first business in the online space was a sales consulting business. And that turned into, through one of my clients, me wanting to start a marketing agency to prove that if you just had the right sales frameworks, you could get 10, 20,000, 30,000 per month sales volume pretty easily. And uh, anyway, so I, I made a real estate marketing company with one of my clients at the time. 
And we turned that into an agency that in about six months was doing anywhere from 100 to 120,000 a month. We had it for about 14 months before we exited the business. And now I have a, uh, an operations business. You know, I work on a COO level with lots of multi seven, multi eight figure companies in the space. So that's kind of me. I don't know. It sounds boring when you say it out loud. That is so exciting and not boring at all. And you were so incredibly accomplished. I love that you built and sold your agency so fast. That's insane. Can you tell us more about, were you trying to sell? What was that process like? And how did it feel to exit? Okay, I'll, I'll hit the feelings part in a second, because it, it actually doesn't feel like you think. I'll explain what I mean. But so before anything, I wasn't ever like looking to sell. There was, I forget who said this to me in the space, but I kind of coined the term. And I say this to everybody I meet now when it comes to, you know, if they have the agency. I always try to create a sellable business because if it's sellable, then it's healthy. It has healthy margins. It's systemized, right? You don't need, you know, you're not as involved as a lot of other businesses. And so in creating a sellable business, like we were, it's like a lot, everything was dotted down. It just attracted the right people. And, and eventually I will say I started to get a little bit tired of the model that we were running. I think one of the things that is really cool to me, maybe you can talk to this point is, entrepreneurship or like the level of business you're at really just matches or meets the type of person that you are or the, the type of human being that you are and the maturity that you reached. And so that model got us got me up to where like I couldn't take it up any further. And I really didn't want to. And I kind of think I grew it, um, which is why I'm the operations model now based off everything I learned. That's probably the reason that I was okay exiting. And then the way that I felt about it, and I know you're probably going to like, maybe I, I know you had an offer made to you. I felt so guilty for like two or three months because we had a team of uh, like 15 people or something and they became family at to a certain extent like i like i was sending baby shower gifts i was like flying out to people and saying you know like getting to know them and you know that's who you talk to every single day for hours and hours and hours a day so I, it's and and then before you know it the kind of cutting ties with the thing that really brought you two together that it hurts to an extent it's it's not something that a lot of people think about like People think about the payday, but there's all there's a lot of emotional kind of attachment to a business after you've kind of you know created that culture and everything. Did did you think about that at all when you had your oh, offer? Absolutely. I thought about the people that I get to work with, not only my in house team, but my clients as well. And it tied so many emotions to a business and I like to consider myself to be pretty logical. I make financially smart decisions, but as soon as I had that opportunity, it was like all these emotions came flooding in and I was like Oh my gosh, not only am I weighing the financial decision here, but I'm weighing my emotions as well. And there was definitely a lot on the table, but it is hard when you build up so many relationships as you're building your business. So I guess with that being said, my next question here is, were you able to maintain those relationships post exiting this company or did selling have an impact on those relationships? Absolutely. Like 100% had an impact on, on the relationship. So two or three friends that I had that were pretty close, like absolute hard fall off, like felt like they were backstabbed and such. And I, I try to do everything as ethically, as cleanly as like, I, I gave everyone two or three months of notice before we even ever did anything. I stayed in the company for another three months after it was, you know, acquisition. I think one of the tricky parts about this is to get really, really high talent people, they to an extent, they're not tying to the company always, they're also tying to you, right? So when, when you hire, People come on because they also like you and they see the vision in you. And so when you leave that, then they kind of feel misled, if you will. 
or betrayed. And so a couple of hard fall-offs that, that are really, really sad. That, you know, I like I look back on it and like, damn, that hurts. But at the same time, it was probably the best decision for everybody. Uh, the company that acquired ended up doing much bigger things for those people than I could have ever done because they had more experience. And then one of the client success managers actually ended up looking for new work and ended up tailoring up, tying up with the company that I'm with now on a CEO level. And so we actually work together hand in hand every day. And so like that's probably the one out of maybe two two others that I can say are have continued. Yeah, it, it definitely has a big impact. It also has an impact. Maybe I mean, like a question for you. My identity started to tie down to that business. I had a, a little bit of an identity crisis. Did you were you thinking about that at all? I was definitely thinking through that and how I am meat marketing and meat marketing is me. Who is meat marketing without Jen Hartman? I don't really know. And that's kind of scary at the end of the day too, because at some point if I do decide to get in my business, like what does that look like? Who do I become? So yeah, that's something I definitely thought through. I don't even have answers, right? Because I didn't end up going through with it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, what would have that looked like? Like, I don't know who I would become without my business. It's yeah, I have no answer for you. It's an impossible. It took me probably after I sold, I kind of told myself I was going to take two or three months of just casual consulting and stuff. And I did. And I thought that after the 14 months of like, hard, I was constantly working. I'm talking like 7am to 2am days, you know, multiple days a week. I thought after that for 14 months, I would want a break. And I, so I essentially just was chilling two or three months of consulting, whatever it be it. And I got so bored. I got so bored. And so I, I came back and I was like, who am I with that? Like, what do I work on now? It's weird because something applause to you for not selling because of this. It's really weird because when you have that business that you can sell, you have a team, you're running in a completely, you're not starting, you're scaling, right? And so it's very strange to think about starting something again. And that's kind of what I'm going through right now where it's like, oh, wow, like I have to actually, I have to find someone to do some prospecting for me. You know, I have to like, like find a closer with absolutely no social proof and to, or do the closing myself. And I don't know, it's, it's a completely different. I, it's kind of like starting at ground zero again. But my goal, my hope is that the, the new business I'm running from everything I learned from the last business is something that has a higher ceiling is going to be for me more fulfilling, more fun. It's just weird to be at ground zero. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't think through as well as like, what's next for you? And are you comfortable starting from scratch? And what does that look like? So I'm glad that you mentioned that because it's so important to think through. So I want to shift gears here and talk a little bit about how you just see your agency so incredibly fast. And I feel like that's unheard of. I've worked for quite a few agencies and that growth. Oh my goodness. Congratulations, by the way. But with that being said, why do you think that was? Was it because of sales? Because of marketing? Like what was your secret thought you don't mind sharing? It was definitely a mix of both. So I actually, I've done a, like a lot of analysis on this because this question is constantly asked our way because we do, you know, we hit, 30k in our first 45 days per like the 30k run rate and it was just from and you can't do this as much now so like if anyone's listening like they did inhibit this but it was a lot of um, facebook instagram prospecting so our you know our business was helping real estate agents so we'd add real estate agents on facebook and we'd add follow them or comment on them or whatever be on instagram start conversation and then we had really really good sops to where we could bring in teammates team members and have them follow through. The, so my goal was I never wanted to have those conversations because every week we're trying to have like four or five, six hundred conversations on Instagram and Facebook, right? So if anyone ever tries to DM me, I still have thousands of unread messages that like I don't even check DMs anymore. But anyway, so we got up to 30k just from that. That was that was hard, 
hardest type of sale you can ever have. No one knows who you are. It's like it. You get them on the phone. They almost don't understand why. And then before you know it, you're collecting credit card. You're helping them out, providing service. And up until 30k, that was awesome. And then we found out about ads, like learned about business to business ads, if you will. And that was kind of kind of related like this. If you do it the prospecting way, and I know a lot of companies that do 100, 200 thousand dollars a month without ads, just doing the prospecting method. I call it like eating chicken and rice, like really, really lean, right? You you have great margins, but it sucks. It's so much work. Ads, business to business, like Facebook, Instagram, Google ads, whatever it be, it's like steroids. So as soon as we plugged it in, I think in the first month of having ads live, we doubled to 70K or whatever be it. We had some glass ceilings at 70 because of our systems. Two or three months down, then we hit our first $118,000 a month or something. And all it was was really focusing on sales, like our sales process, and then getting our B2B ads kind of down packed so that our margins stay tight. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. Guys, paid ads, invest in paid ads. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is great. That's awesome. So I heard you mention systems. Can you share some of your favorite systems that you use to scale your I'll be honest. I knew this question was going to come and I have no idea what to share there. I think I, so here's the deal, right? Before you judge me, cause I can, whoever can't see Jen's face, like she's, you know, like giving me like the shocked, wow, how could you kind of, kind of face? I, I guess, how about this? Define what kind of systems you think your, everyone listening would benefit from and then I can break it down. But systems at a like $10,000 per month level versus a 50,000 versus a 250, they're so different. So. Narrow this down for me, and then I can. Yeah, that's a great question. So I know a lot of my audience is at the point in their business where they're starting to hire a team. Maybe they're looking at bringing in a sales executive, and maybe they have a marketing assistant. And there's maybe just a small, small in-house team there, and they're probably making between ten and twenty-five thousand dollars per month. Okay, number one, that's solid, and it's a great team to have at that mark. So I think realistically, anytime I meet companies that are kind of newer age like that, the thing that blows my mind most is that they don't have a really structured sales CRM and they don't really have a onboarding sequence for when they actually sign on new clients. And we can get into other things like, you know, nurturing materials to get before the demo calls and stuff like that. But I guess my favorite two systems, number one, our sales CRM, let's say we have a product that's 1500 bucks, right? Our kind of like beginner, like client product. And then the real one that we want to get them on is like 3000 to $5,000 a month. A lot of the time at 10 or 25,000, it's hard to sell people directly into the 3,000. So you start out with that, you know, kind of lower ticket, if you will, $1,000 program. But then from that, you have to create ascension sales. And so what's the pipeline look like? What, you know, what are the touch points? What's everything that happens to get them to go from that $1,000 to the $3,000 recurring program? Those are the things that I really like building out, right? And so like automated touch points, different things that go out so that realistically you're constantly selling without actually doing any, any work. I think my favorite way to look at systems in sales at that mark, which is the most important systems that you have to have in place, is like how do you start to reach one to mass instead of one to one, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's super important. So is your favorite CRM system HubSpot or Salesforce? Like what are we using here? Okay, that's a great question. I I hate HubSpot. <gasps> I, I love HubSpot. Yep. I've never used Salesforce. I know Salesforce can be... By the way, I hate HubSpot, but I like I have a decent amount of HubSpot stocks, so I, I believe that they can be a good company. I just don't think that for what I was doing and what I do, it's the, the best of fits. But um, I think Salesforce is awesome. I just I've never used Salesforce, and I don't recommend most companies under like two hundred thousand a month use Salesforce because 
it's so technical, you really need a developer, and that can get pretty pricey. It's just it's overcomplicated. HubSpot is okay. I'll say this: HubSpot on like a free version and a fifty dollar per month version is great. But then when you start to get into like the the kind of mid tiers, if you will, where it's six, seven hundred, eight hundred, fifteen hundred dollars per month minimum, it gets really expensive for what you get, and uh, and it also is really slow and clunky. So my favorite kind of stack, I know, hear me out, hear me out. My favorite stack right now is something called close.com on the front end for sales and then monday.com as a back-end CRM client success system. And the reason I like that is close is nothing but sales. Like it's 100%. All it does is help you focus on like everyone you're trying to sell to, the smart views and everything. If you if, Have you ever used close, Jen? I've never even heard of it. I'm a big HubSpot girl. Oh, oh no! So I'm I'm dogging on your CRM. I'm sorry. Okay, here's my experience with with HubSpot. Right when I was in B two B SaaS, we had HubSpot, and I think my problem with it is that you have everything in one place. So you have like service tickets, and then you have all your marketing stuff, and then you have your contracts, and then you have your your sales stuff. And it's almost like HoneyBook, right? Where they try to put everything in one place. And I hate using this phrase, but it's kind of like a jack of all trades is a master of none. And I'd rather have my closers and me when I'm looking at sales just focus on what they need to focus on to sell. And so that's what close does. It takes everything else away. It's just a sales CRM. It's nothing but the sales specific conversations and tasks that they need to see. And then as soon as someone's sold, immediately get bumped to sold and closed. So you don't see them really anymore unless you're looking at Ascension. And then they get pushed over to monday.com. I love Monday because it's so customizable. You can make it Ever you want. And so one of the first things I do when I start working with companies is I completely rehaul their Monday to where everything is so... It's exactly what HubSpot wants to do without sales. So it's kind of like a mini HubSpot, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I like Monday.com. I just started to look at it because we use Asana right now and I'm looking at Asana and it just keeps getting more and more and more expensive, more people we add in there. And Monday, honestly, just seems like a better direction to go in. So I'm like this close to making the switch. I, I love Monday. I definitely recommend the switch. Um, Asana is great too. I just think that Mon- Monday is also really easy for people to pick up. Asana can be a little bit like, I, th- I know it sounds crazy, but when you start to put like colors and like, like user, like it's just a really pretty user interface, people almost want to learn how to use it more than they do want to learn Asana. Does that make sense? I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's, I'm like, I don't know. It's what I've seen so far. So anyway, I love, yeah, I love Monday. And if you're at like 1025 a month, if, HubSpot, by all means, like if you can stay on that starter package, I, it's great at that point. It's just that we started to do things with lead scoring and started to do things with like, you know, where it got, I like it was four something thousand a month when we finally bailed away from HubSpot to close where it was a few hundred a month doing the exact same thing even better. So I guess that's my qualm against HubSpot. But that's also why I invest in HubSpot stock. So take it as you will. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing me about some systems that you recommend for scaling an agency. I love that. I know my listeners are going to love it too. So I want to talk a little bit more about team structure. As you're growing an agency, who do you bring on? What does your team structure look like? Can you give any advice to my listeners? Oh, 100%. I'll give general advice and then I'm going to ask you some questions to give more specific advice. Cool. I like this story. There's a guy I follow in the space. One of my long-term goals is to start a software company. And so I follow some software, like kind of mentors and stuff, if you will. And one of them was interviewing a client that he had that just hit his million dollar per month and rate with the software. And the guy just bought his first Ferrari. And so he, you know, like Dan was like, Hey, 
can we have an interview? I want to learn. Like, I just want everyone to learn from you. And in that, they, t- they started talking about the team. And so the guy said, I have the best team you could ever ask for, but I've gone through a thousand iterations of this team in order to get there. And I think that's the first thing with hiring that I tell everybody now, because I have made some bad, bad, bad hires. And my biggest mistake was just keeping them around for too long. Yeah, and you're kind of nodding, but you're also kind of like, I mean, I just need to know what your face is. What What are you thinking right away when I say that? I agree with you 100%. I think the worst thing you can do, and it turns into like a really big money leak through the business when you keep underperforming employees and you're just hoping they get better. And I think that at the end of the day, you can only have so many conversations to help motivate that person. If somebody doesn't want to be there and they don't want to help build your brand, then they need to go and they need to go sooner rather than later. I heard this saying, and I really, really like it. Be slow to hire and quick to fire. Ooh, I do like that. That's I'll have to start picking that up. I think I you said it right. It's a money dream, but people look at like how much money they're paying out for payroll instead of like the opportunity cost that comes with that hire, right? Especially with sales. Like it, it hurts. I've had sales reps that I definitely kept on for too long and like we did the math based off what other reps would have hit in that role and we lost like hundreds of thousands of dollars in like in those 14 months from just bringing on bad reps. And so number one, you know, before anything, when I started hiring at the very beginning of my agency, uh, kind of general advice, I would do a one interview process right now. You know, if I was starting again and I was the only one interviewing, it's always three interviews. I always do a group interview first. So I get a lot of applicants do a group interview, see who stands out at the top of the crowd. Second interview is always some kind of mock call or mock something, right? So if it's a media buyer position, great, build me out, you know, build me out a campaign or build me out, you know, or whatever. if it's graphics, great, build me out some content. Let me see it. Let me compare it. People can be a really good interviewer, even salespeople, but then terrible at practice. And so I want to kill that. And then the very last thing is just, this is the, the most important thing that I've learned that almost no one does. It's just an expectations kind of alignment before I ever even give an offer. So it, like at the very end, finding out what they want to do, what their goals are, what they're looking at, like, are, do they plan on staying for a while or not? And making sure that what they want and what I want are congruent, because if it's not, then in my experience, like it tends to tank and it tends to hurt longer term than that. So that's general. More general advice is, you know, hire to whoever, whatever the constraint is in your business. I think, I think Jen, biggest thing I've learned in terms of team, the best, the best entrepreneurs in the space, they really start to look at their, at their business is like, where is the next hire? What do they need to be? Who do they need to be? Right. And that's because realistically, like the, you know, the, the hardest skill set that I think I'm st- like I'm definitely still learning is being able to analyze your business, analyze the constraints and see like who's needed and where's needed, right? So you have like the average model of get a, you know, get a virtual assistant for data entry, like, like replying to messages, whatever be it, then get a client success manager to take over communication, get a closer when you're, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 a month so that you're not on closing calls anymore. But then after that, it gets really tricky. It becomes, you know, once you're out of the cookie cutter kind of model, it becomes more so like, you have to really kind of, you know, I don't know. You have, what What are your thoughts? You have a cool team. I want to know, what, what have you done? How have you looked at it? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I like that you touched on all of those different roles because I've worked for some really big agencies and I've noticed that every agency I've ever worked for that was at the seven-figure mark is all structured very differently. And I think part of it comes down to the type of client you work with and the types of services you offer. Like, your team's just going to vary. But right now, I would say, like, the biggest, like the best hire I've made so far in my business has been sales. Because at the end of the day, this person drives revenue for the business and I can take that money and I can invest in ads. I can take that and invest in other team members. So 
I think that if you're at the point where you're making it, I'm going to go back to my example before where I said 10 to 25K per month. If you don't already have a sales executive or some kind of salesperson, hire somebody, right? As the CEO, you shouldn't be hopping on every single sales call. That's like not where your time is up to you. So that's definitely a hiring tip that I can throw out there as well. But next up for us, I'm going to be hiring a junior marketing consultant because right now Mm -hmm. I work with all of our clients. Like, I really still am the business where we're at. And I think that I need to start to remove myself. And that's how I'm going to remove myself. I absolutely love that. And and I, I think the only caveat, just to give a different perspective that I would say, is it also depends on what you're good at and what you're not good at, right? So example given, like starting from scratch for me, the last thing that I'll hire out of the, at the main stack is a closer because it's the skill that I have, right? But like when, so if I started, you know this, I've never, for having a marketing agency, I've never spent time in Go High Level, which is like usually the CRM that everyone uses to fill. And I've never spent time in an ads manager. And so my first hire, if I if I started an agency from scratch again, would be a media buyer. I would need someone to actually fulfill on the work that we're doing. And then I would do client success and I would do closing until I can hire a client success manager. And then I would do the closing until I can hire a closer, right? But like, and if example given, if someone, and a lot of people who start agencies are not good at closing, they're good at the fulfillment or the you know the actual media buying of it. If that was the case, yeah, hi, you know, hire to your weaknesses, play your strengths, and so hire a closer before you hire a buyer. And that's also why it's custom. Is that I, yeah? I don't know thoughts on that. No, I love that advice. Not every agency is built the same, and not every CEO skill set is the same. So I, your advice was it was gold. Thank you so much for that. So I want to wrap this interview up and just come back to you, like, what are you currently working on? Like, what's coming down the pipeline for you this year? What can you share with my audience? So in 2022, number one, a lot of content is coming my way. And that's because I'm working with a few big, like, multi-hundred thousand to a million kind of, like, subscribers or followers, whatever, be it, like, company owners in the space. And they've all been giving me so much grief about how I have no social media presence. And so that's number one, a lot of content, more podcasts like this, more videos on YouTube, all the, you know, everyone listening doesn't see the background, but like I, I finally have like a YouTube worthy back, backdrop for videos and everything. And then number two, really, really going heavy in the operations business, which is why I really care more about content. And then uh, eventually that operations business, which is called Systemly, will transfer into a system software company, the SaaS company that I modeled out. Uh, the, I guess the last thing I'll say is there's a guy that I follow in the space. And he was analyzing, you know, where most entrepreneurs end up starting their businesses. And I, I just love this analogy. He's like, people don't look at business ownership as, as like, you know, being a pro athlete, but it is pretty much the same thing. You are in the grind, perfecting your craft, getting really, really good. And you don't see too many pro athletes start playing in their, you know, like 40s, 50s, etc. And people still do it. Tom Brady's in the playoffs right now at 44, right? It's definitely possible. But at a certain point, like when is like you kind of have that peak area of when to start. And so my whole thing is I really want to make sure that I'm starting my software company by 35 and I'm 20, turning 28 this year. So in the next few years, it's operations and it's software. And it's kind of just like living and dying by that. Okay, wait, I didn't know we were the same age. First of all, you were so much more accomplished than me. I don't know why no. I assumed you were like close to 40. Oh my chin. You're I'm looking sorry. at, do I look I'm like I'm? Sorry. Ooh, that hurts. That hurts bad. Yeah, I'm speechless on that one. No, I'm, you know, I'm 27. I turned 28 in July. Ouch. Come on, man. Oh, 
are so sorry. And we're like very close when it comes to birthdays because I'm a June baby. July's better, but fine. No, no worries. It's fine. Everything is fine. That was awesome. I love that you're wanting to dive into that. I don't know if you know this, but that's actually my background. I worked in product marketing for a pretty big SaaS company. So when you were talking about SaaS, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm surprised you haven't brought it up as one of like, like what what are your goals? What's your future? Oh man, why did you have to do that to me? I wasn't prepared for a follow-up question like that. So you know that I have an e-com business. I'm in the fashion space. So I hope to grow that and partner with more retailers. Right now we're going to DC. But we have such a visibility problem, so I'd love, love, love to pop up into more retail shops. So yeah, we'll see what happens there. But eventually, I'd love to buy some investment property. As for neat marketing, I would love to grow it in our brand. So we'll see. If we're working on things. Things are happening there. But as for another business, I don't know yet. Like I always have loved stocks, but there's so much work that goes into building software. So much work. Yep. That's why I I don't feel like I'm mature enough yet to start a SaaS company. That's the only reason I haven't. I just I'm not. We talked about you know, like your business matches who you are as a human being. I am yeah. not the human being that can manage and lead and start a SaaS company yet. So, lot 2022 to finish the you know question out, if you will. It's mainly just personal development, personal growth. Uh, I'm doing a lot of different things. I'm working with different health coaches, different mindset coaches on you know, like. Literally thinking about what I'm thinking about throughout the day, auditing my time, med- different meditation skills, different like health things, like months of cold showers and stuff like that to get over like the flinches. And, and I don't know, that's that's my main thing. If 2022 was a year where I didn't make much like actual cash, that's fine. As long as I can say at the end of it that I, I got 33 times better, 1% a day, 33 times better at the end of the year, I'd be massively happy with that. Awesome. Cool beans. Well, it was great interviewing you. Thank you so much for coming on to serve me. I feel like this conversation is so incredibly valuable, and I can't wait to share it with my audience. So thanks again. Thank you, Jen. We'll talk soon, guys.